Dead Souls, Part 1, Chapter 5, Section 2 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dead Souls by Nikolai Vasilievich Gogol Translated by D. J. Hogarth Part 1, Chapter 5, Section 2 Read by Ewan Bayliss This is my wife, Theodulia Ivanovna, said Sabakovitch. Chichikov approached and took her hand. The fact that she raised it nearly to the level of his lips apprised him of the circumstances that it had just been rinsed in cucumber oil. My dear, allow me to introduce Paul Ivanovitch Chichikov, added Sabakovitch. He has the honour of being acquainted with both our governor and with our postmaster. Upon this, Theodulia Ivanovna requested her guest to be seated and accompanied the invitation with the kind of bow usually employed only by actresses who are playing the role of queens. Next, she took a seat upon the sofa, drew around her her merino gown, and sat thereafter without moving an eyelid or an eyebrow. As for Chichikov, he glanced upwards, and once more caught sight of Canaris with his fat thighs, an interminable moustache, and of Bobolina and the blackbird. For fully five minutes all present preserved a complete silence, the only sound audible being that of the blackbird's beak against the wooden floor of the cage as the creature fished for grains of corn. Meanwhile Chichikov again surveyed the room, and saw that everything in it was massive and clumsy in the highest degree, as also that everything was curiously in keeping with the master of the house. For example, in one corner of the apartment there stood a hazelwood bureau with a bulging body on four grotesque legs, the perfect image of a bear. Also, the tables and the chairs were of the same ponderous, unrestful order, and every single article in the room appeared to be saying either, I too am a Sabakovich, or I am exactly like Sabakovich. I heard speak of you one day when I was visiting the President of the Council, said Chichikov, on perceiving that no one else had a mind to begin a conversation. That was on Thursday last. We had a very pleasant evening. Yes, on that occasion I was not there, replied Sabakovitch. What a nice man he is. Who is? inquired Sabakovitch, gazing into the corner by the stove. The president of the local council. Did he seem so to you? True, he is a mason, but he is also the greatest fool that the world ever saw. Chichikov started a little at this mordant criticism, but soon pulled himself together again and continued. Of course, every man has his weakness. Yet the president seems to be an excellent fellow. And do you think the same of the governor? 
Yes, why not? Because there exists no greater rogue than he. What, the governor a rogue? ejaculated Chichikov, at a loss to understand how the official in question could come to be numbered with thieves. Let me say that I should never have guessed it. Permit me also to remark that his conduct would hardly seem to bear out your opinion. He seems so gentle a man. And in proof of this, Chichikov cited the purses which the governor knitted, and also expiated on the mildness of his features. He has the face of a robber, said Sobakovitch. Were you to give him a knife and to turn him loose on a turnpike, he would cut your throat for two kopecks. And the same with the vice-governor. The pair are just Gog and Magog. Evidently he is not on good terms with them, thought Chichikov to himself. I had better pass on to the chief of police, with whom he does seem to be friendly. Accordingly, he added aloud, for my own part, I should give the preference to the head of the gendarmerie. What a frank, outspoken nature he has, and what an element of simplicity does his expression contain. He is mean to the core, remarked Sobakovitch coldly. He will sell you and cheat you, and then dine at your table. Yes, I know them all, and every one of them is a swindler, and the town a nest of rascals engaged in robbing one another. Not a man of the lot is there, but would sell Christ. Yet stay. One decent fellow there is, the public prosecutor, though even he, if the truth be told, is little better than a pig. After these eulogia, Chichikov saw that it would be useless to continue running through the list of officials, more especially since suddenly he had remembered that Sobakovitch was not at any time given to commending his fellow-man. "'Let us go to luncheon, my dear,' put in Theodulia Ivanovna to her spouse. "'Yes, pray come to table,' said Sobakovitch to his guest, whereupon they consumed the customary glass of vodka, accompanied by sundry snacks of salted cucumber and other dainties, with which Russians, both in town and country, preface a meal.' Then they filed into the dining-room, in the wake of the hostess, who sailed on ahead like a goose swimming across a pond. The small dining-table was found to be laid for four persons, the fourth place being occupied by a lady or a young girl, it would have been difficult to say which exactly, who might have been either a relative, the housekeeper, or a casual visitor. Certain persons in the world exist, not as personalities in themselves, but as spots or specks on the personalities of others. Always they are to be seen sitting in the same place, and holding their heads at exactly the same angle, so that one comes within an ace of mistaking them for furniture, and thinks to oneself that never since the day of their birth can they have spoken a single word. "'My dear,' said Sobakovitch, the cabbage soup is excellent. With that, he finished his portion and helped himself to a generous measure of Niania. Footnote. Literally, nursemaid. End of footnote. The dish which follows chi and consists of a sheep's stomach stuffed with black porridge, 
brains, and other things. "'What Nyanya this is!' he added to Chichikov. "'Never would you get such stuff in a town, where one is given the devil knows what.' "'Nevertheless, the governor keeps a fair table,' said Chichikov. "'Yes, but do you know what all the stuff is made of?' retorted Sobakovitch. "'If you did know, you would never touch it.' "'Of course I am not in a position to say how it is prepared, "'but at least the pork cutlass and the boiled fish seemed excellent.' "'Ah, it might have been thought so.' yet i know the way in which such things are bought in the market-place they are bought by some rascal of a cook whom a frenchman has taught how to skin a tomcat and then serve it up as hair uh, what horrible things you say put in madame well my dear that is how things are done and it is no fault of mine that it is so moreover everything that is left over everything that we pardon me for mentioning it, cast into the slop-pail, is used by such folk for making soup. Always at table you begin talking like this, objected his helpmeet. And why not, said Zabakovich, I tell you straight that I would not eat such nastiness, even had I made it myself. Sugar a frog as much as you like, but never shall it pass my lips nor would I swallow an oyster, for I know only too well what an oyster may resemble. But have some mutton, friend Chichikov. It is a shoulder of mutton, and very different stuff from the mutton which they cook in noble kitchens, mutton which has been kicking about the market-place four days or more. All that sort of cookery has been invented by French and German doctors, and i should like to hang them for having done so they go and prescribe diets and a hunger cure as though what suits their flaccid german systems will agree with a russian stomach such devices are no good at all sobakovitch shook his head wrathfully fellows like those are forever talking of civilization as if that sort of thing was civilization phew Perhaps the speaker's concluding exclamation would have been even stronger had he not been seated at table. For myself, I will have none of it. When I eat pork at a meal, give me the whole pig. When mutton, the whole sheep. When goose, the whole of the bird. Two dishes are better than a thousand, provided that one can eat of them as much as one wants and he proceeded to put precept into practice by taking half the shoulder of mutton on to his plate and then devouring it down to the last morsel of gristle and bone my word reflected chichikov the fellow has a pretty good holding capacity none of it for me repeated sobakovitch as he wiped his hands on his napkin i don't intend to be a fellow named plushkin who owns eight hundred souls yet dines worse than does my shepherd who is plushkin asked chichikov a miser replied sobakovitch such a miser as never you could imagine even convicts in prison live better than he does and he starves his servants as well really ejaculated chichikov 
greatly interested. Should you, then, say that he has lost many peasants by death? Certainly. They keep dying like flies. Then how far from here does he reside? About five versts. Only five versts? exclaimed Chichikov, feeling his heart beating joyously. Ought one, when leaving your gates, to turn to the right or to the left? I should be sorry to tell you the way to the house of such a cur, said Sobakevitch. A man had far better go to hell than to Plushkin's. Quite so, responded Chichikov. My only reason for asking you is that it interests me to become acquainted with any and every sort of locality. To the shoulder of mutton there succeeded, in turn, cutlets, each one larger than a plate, a turkey of about the size of a calf, eggs, rice, pastry, and every conceivable thing which could possibly be put into a stomach. There the meal ended. When he rose from table, Chichikov felt as though a prude's weight were inside him. In the drawing-room, the company found dessert awaiting them, in the shape of pears, plums, and apples, but since neither host nor guest could tackle these particular dainties, the hostess removed them to another room. Taking advantage of her absence, Chichikov turned to Sobakevitch, who, prone in an armchair, seemed, after his ponderous meal, to be capable of doing little beyond belching and grunting. Each such grunt or belch necessitated a subsequent signing of the cross over the mouth, and intimated to him a desire to have a little private conversation concerning a certain matter. At this moment the hostess returned. "'Here is more dessert,' she said. "'Pray have a few radishes stewed in honey.' "'Later, later,' replied Sobakevitch. "'Do you go to your room, and Paul Ivanovitch and I will take off our coats and have a nap.' Upon this the good lady expressed her readiness to send for feather beds and cushions, but her husband expressed a preference for slumbering in an armchair, and she therefore departed. When she had gone, Sobakevitch inclined his head in an attitude of willingness to listen to Chichikov's business. Our hero began in a sort of detached manner, touching lightly upon the subject of the Russian Empire, and expatiating upon the immensity of the same, and saying that even the empire of ancient Rome had been of considerably smaller dimensions. Meanwhile, Sobakevitch sat with his head drooping, from that, Chichikov went on to remark that, according to the statutes of the said Russian Empire, which yielded to none in glory, so much so that foreigners marvelled at it, peasants on the census lists who had ended their earthly careers were nevertheless, on the rendering of new lists, returned equally with the living, to the end that the courts might be relieved of a multitude of trifling useless emendations which might complicate the already sufficiently complex mechanism of the state. Nevertheless, said Chichikov, the general equity of this measure did not obviate a certain amount of annoyance to landowners, since it forced them to pay upon a non-living article the tax due upon a living. Hence, our hero concluded. He, 
Chichikov, was prepared, owing to the personal respect which he felt for Sobakovitch, to relieve him, in part, of the irksome obligation referred to. In passing, it may be said that Chichikov referred to his principal point only guardedly, for he called the souls which he was seeking not dead, but non-existent. Meanwhile, Sobakovitch listened with bent head, though something like a trace of expression dawned in his face as he did so. Ordinarily, his body lacked a soul, or, if he did possess a soul, he seemed to keep it elsewhere than where it ought to have been, so that, buried beneath mountains, as it were, or enclosed within a massive shell, its movements produced no sort of agitation on the surface. "'Well,' said Chichikov, though not without a certain tremor of diffidence as to the possible response. "'You are after dead souls?' were Sobakovitch's perfectly simple words. He spoke without the least surprise in his tone, and much as though the conversation had been turning on grain. "'Yes,' replied Chichikov, and then, as before, softened down the expression, "'Dead souls.' "'They are to be found,' said Sobakovitch. "'Why should they not be?' "'Then, of course, you will be glad to get rid of any that you may have chance to have?' "'Yes, I shall have no objection to selling them.' At this point the speaker raised his head a little, for it had struck him that surely the would-be buyer must have some advantage in view. "'The devil!' thought Chichikov to himself. Here is he, selling the goods before I have even had time to utter a word. And what about the price? he added aloud. Of course, the articles are not of a kind very easy to appraise. I should be sorry to ask too much, said Sobakovitch. How would a hundred roubles per head suit you? What, a hundred roubles per head? Chichikov stared open-mouthed at his host, doubting whether he had heard aright, or whether his host's slow-moving tongue might not have inadvertently substituted one word for another. Yes. Is that too much for you? said Sobakovitch. Then he added, What is your own price? My own price? I think that we cannot properly have understood one another that you must have forgotten of what the goods consist. With my hand on my heart do I submit that eight grivni per soul would be a handsome, a very handsome offer. What? Eight grivni? In my opinion, a higher offer would be impossible. But I am not a seller of boots. No, yet you, for your part, will agree that these souls are not live human beings. I suppose you hope to find fools ready to sell you souls on the census list for a couple of groats apiece? Pardon me, but why do you use the term on the census list? The souls themselves have long since passed away, and have left behind them only their names. Not to trouble you with any further discussion of the subject, I can offer you a rouble and a half per head, but no more. 
You should be ashamed even to mention such a sum. Since you deal in articles of this kind, quote me a genuine price. I cannot, Michael Semenovitch. Believe me, I cannot. What a man cannot do, that he cannot do. The speaker ended by advancing another half-rouble per head. But why hang back with your money? said Sobakovitch. Of a truth, I am not asking much of you. Any other rascal than myself would have cheated you by selling you old rubbish instead of good genuine souls, whereas I should be ready to give you of my best, even were you buying only nut-kernels. For instance, look at Wheelwright Michiev. Never was there such a one to build spring carts, and his handiwork was not like your Moscow handiwork, good only for an hour. No, he did it all himself, even down to the varnishing. Chichikov opened his mouth to remark that, nevertheless, the said Michiev had long since departed this world, but Sobakovitch's eloquence had got too thoroughly into its stride to admit of any interruption. And look too at Probka Stepan, the carpenter, his toast went on. I will wager my head that nowhere else would you find such a workman. What a strong fellow he was. He had served in the guards, and the Lord only knows what they had given for him, seeing that he was over three arshins in height. Again Chichikov tried to remark that Probka was dead, but Sobakovitch's tongue was borne on the torrent of its own verbiage, and the only thing to be done was to listen and Milushkin the bricklayer. He could build a stove in any house you liked. And Maxim Teliapnikov the bootmaker. Anything that he drove his all into became a pair of boots, and boots for which you would be thankful, although he was a bit foul of the mouth. And Aramis Solokoplechin too. He was the best of the lot, and used to work at his trade in Moscow where he paid a tax of five hundred roubles. Well, there's an assortment of serfs for you, a very different assortment from what Plushkin would sell you. But permit me, at length put in Chichikov, astounded at this flood of eloquence to which there appeared to be no end. Permit me, I say, to inquire why you enumerate the talents of the deceased, seeing that they are all of them dead and that therefore there can be no sense in doing so. A dead body is only good to prop a fence with, says the proverb. Of course they are dead, replied Sobakovitch, but rather as though the idea had only just occurred to him. Of course they are dead, replied Sobakovitch, but rather as though the idea had only just occurred to him, and was giving him food for thought. But tell me now, what is the use of listing them as still alive? And what is the use of them themselves? They are flies, not human beings. Well, said Chichikov, they exist, though only in idea. But no, not only in idea. I tell you that nowhere else would you find such a fellow for working heavy tools as was Michiev. He had the strength of a horse in his shoulders and with the words Sobakovitch turned, as though for corroboration to the portrait of Bagration, 
as is frequently done by one of the parties in a dispute when he purports to appeal to an extraneous individual, who is not only unknown to him, but wholly unconnected with the subject in hand, with the result that the individual is left in doubt whether to make a reply, or whether betake himself elsewhere. Nevertheless, I cannot give you more than two roubles per head, said Chichikov. Well, as I don't want you to swear that I have asked too much of you and won't meet you halfway, suppose for friendship's sake that you pay me seventy-five roubles in assignats. Good heavens, thought Chichikov to himself, does the man take me for a fool? Then he added aloud, the situation seems to me a strange one, for it is as though we were performing a stage comedy. No other explanation would meet the case. Yet you appear to be a man of sense, and possessed of some education. The matter is a very simple one. The question is, what is a dead soul worth, and is it of any use to any one? It is of use to you, or you would not be buying such articles. Chichikov bit his lip, and stood at a loss for a retort. He tried to saying something about family and domestic circumstances, but Sobakovitch cut him short with, I don't want to know your private affairs, for I never poke my nose into such things. You need the souls, and I am ready to sell them. Should you not buy them, I think you will repent it. Two roubles is my price, repeated Chichikov. Come, come. As you have named that sum, I can understand you're not liking to go back upon it. But quote me a bona fide figure. The devil fly away with him, mused Chichikov. However, I will add another half rouble. And he did so. Indeed, said Sobakovitch. Well, my last word upon it, fifty roubles in a signyats. That will mean a sheer loss to me, for nowhere else in the world could you buy better souls than mine. The old skinflint, muttered Chichikov. Then he added aloud, with irritation in his tone, See here, this is a serious matter. Anyone but you would be thankful to get rid of the souls. Only a fool would stick to them and continue to pay the tax. Yes, but remember, and I say it wholly in a friendly way, that transactions of this kind are not generally allowed, and that anyone would say that a man who engages in them must have some rather doubtful advantage in view. Have it your own way, said Chichikov, with assumed indifference. As a matter of fact, I am not purchasing for profit, as you suppose, but to humour a certain whim of mine. Two and a half roubles is the most that I can offer. Bless your heart, retorted the host. At least give me thirty roubles in a signyat and take the lot. No, for I see that you are unwilling to sell. I must say good day to you. Hold on, hold on, exclaimed Sobakovitch, retaining his guest's hand, and at the same moment treading heavily upon his toes, so heavily indeed that Chichikov gasped and danced with the pain. I beg your pardon, said Sobakovitch hastily. Evidently I have hurt you, 
pray sit down again. No, retorted Chichikov. I am merely wasting my time and must be off. Oh, sit down just for a moment. I have something more agreeable to say. And, drawing closer to his guest, Sobakovitch whispered in his ear, as though communicating to him a secret, How about twenty-five roubles? No, 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 exclaimed Chichikov. I won't give you even a quarter of that. I won't advance another kopeck. For a while, Sobakovitch remained silent, and Chichikov did the same. This lasted for a couple of minutes, and meanwhile, the aquiline-nosed back... For a while, Sobakovitch remained silent, and Chichikov did the same. This lasted for a couple of minutes, and, meanwhile, the aquiline-nosed Bagration gazed from the wall, as though much interested in the bargaining. "'What is your outside price?' at length said Sobakovitch. Two and a half roubles.' "'Then you seem to rate a human soul at about the same value as a boiled turnip. At least give me three roubles.' "'No, I cannot. Pardon me, but you are an impossible man to deal with. However, even though it will mean a dead loss to me, and you have not shown a very nice spirit about it, I cannot well refuse to please a friend. I suppose a purchase deed had better be made out in order to have everything in order? Of course. Then, for that purpose, let us repair to the town.' The affair ended in their deciding to do this on the morrow and to arrange for the signing of a deed of purchase. Next, Chichikov requested a list of the peasants, to which Sobakovitch readily agreed. Indeed, he went to his writing desk then and there and started to indict a list which gave not only the peasants' names, but also their late qualifications. Meanwhile, Chichikov, having nothing else to do, stood looking at the spacious form of his host, and as he gazed at his back as broad as that of a cart-horse, and at the legs as massive as the iron standards which adorn a street, he could not help inwardly ejaculating, "'Truly God has endowed you with much. Though not adjusted with nicety, at least you are strongly built.' i wonder whether you were born a bear or whether you have come to it through your rustic life with its tilling of crops and its trading with peasants yet no i believe that even if you had received a fashionable education and had mixed with society and had lived in st petersburg you would still have been just the kulak footnote village of actor or usurer End of footnote that you are. The only difference is that circumstances as they stand permit of your polishing off of a stuffed shoulder of mutton at a meal, whereas in St. Petersburg you would have been unable to do so. Also, as circumstances stand, you have under you a number of peasants whom you treat well for the reason that they are your property, whereas otherwise you would have had under you chinovics, Footnote. 
subordinate government officials. End of footnote. Whom you would have bullied because they were not your property. Also, you would have robbed the treasury since a kulak always remains a money grubber. The list is ready, said Sobakovich, turning round. Indeed? Then please let me look at it. Chichikov ran his eye over the document and could not but marvel at its neatness and accuracy. Not only were there set forth in it the trade, the age, and the pedigree of every serf, but on the margin of the sheet were jotted remarks concerning each serf's conduct and sobriety. Truly it was a pleasure to look at it. "'And do you mind handing me the earnest money?' said Sobakovich. "'Yes, I do. Why need that be done? You can receive the money in a lump sum as soon as we visit the town.' "'But it is always the custom, you know,' asserted Sobakovich. "'Then I cannot follow it, for I have no money with me. However, here are ten roubles.' Ten roubles, indeed?' You might as well hand me fifty while you were about it. Once more Chichikov started to deny that he had any money upon him, but Sobakovich insisted so strongly that this was not so, that at length the guest pulled out another fifteen roubles, and added them to the ten already produced. Kindly give me a receipt for the money, he added. A receipt? Why should I give you a receipt? "'because it is better to do so in order to guard against mistakes. "'Very well, but first hand me over the money. "'The money, I have it here. "'Do you write out the receipt, and then the money shall be yours.' "'Pardon me, but how am I to write out the receipt before I have seen the cash?' Chichikov placed the notes in Sobakovich's hand whereupon the host moved nearer to the table, and added to the list of serfs a note that he had received for the peasants, therewith sold, the sum of twenty-five roubles as earnest money. This done, he counted the notes once more. "'This is a very old note,' he remarked, holding one up to the light. "'Also, it is a trifle torn. However, in a friendly transaction, one must not be too particular. What a kulak, thought Chichikov to himself, and what a brute beast. Then, you do not want any women's souls? queried Sobakovich. I thank you, no. I could let you have some cheap, say, as between friends, at a rouble a head. No, I should have no use for them. Then, that being so, there is no more to be said. There is no accounting for tastes. One man loves the priest, and another the priest's wife, says the proverb. Chichikov rose to take his leave. Once more I would request of you, he said, that the bargain be left as it is. Of course, of course, what is done between friends holds good because of their mutual friendship. Good-bye, and thank you for your visit. In advance, I would beg that, whenever you should have an hour or two to spare, you will come and lunch with us again. Perhaps we might be able to do one another further service. 
Not if I know it, reflected Chichikov as he mounted his britchka. Not I, seeing that I have had two and a half roubles per soul squeezed out of me by a brute of a kulak. Altogether, he felt dissatisfied with Sobakovitch's behaviour. In spite of the man being a friend of the governor and the chief of police, he had acted like an outsider in taking money for what was worthless rubbish. As the britchka left the courtyard, Chichikov glanced back and saw Sobakovitch still standing on the veranda, apparently for the purpose of watching to see which way the guest's carriage would turn. The old villain to be still standing there, muttered Chichikov through his teeth after which he ordered Selifan to proceed, so that the vehicle's progress should be invisible from the mansion, the truth being that he had a mind next to visit Plushkin, whose serfs, to quote Sobakovitch, had a habit of dying like flies, but not to let his late host learn of his intention. Accordingly, on reaching the further end of the village, he hailed the first peasant whom he saw, a man who was in the act of hoisting a ponderous beam onto his shoulder before setting off with it, ant-like, to his hut. "'Hi!' shouted Chichikov. "'How can I reach landowner Plushkin's place without first going past the mansion here?' The peasant seemed nonplussed by the question. "'Don't you know?' queried Chichikov. "'No, Baron.' replied the peasant. "'What? You don't know Skinflint Plushkin, who feeds his people so badly?' "'Of course I do,' exclaimed the fellow, and added thereto an uncomplimentary expression of a species not ordinarily employed in polite society. We may guess that it was a pretty apt expression, since long after the man had become lost to view, Chichikov was still laughing in his britchka. And, indeed, the language of the Russian populace is always forcible in its phraseology. End of Part 1 Chapter 5